Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! Good morning. It is Friday, April 10th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. And today, rather than catching you up on or breaking down any of the day's college football news, we're going to rewind things a bit to one of the best college football games ever. It's 1998, and more specifically, it's 17-3 to in the second quarter, with about 10 minutes left in the 1998 Big 12 title game between Kansas State from the north and Texas A&M from the south. And Brent Musburger has already set the table for the first ever BCS National Championship. First down and 10. Here's the Bishop on the drop. Everybody covered, so he just pulls it back and waits. And now goes long and got his big player receiver. Touchdown, McDonald. Let the celebration begin in the Little Apple. The Wildcats are on the road to Tempe. Timeout. Unplug the computers, ladies and gentlemen. It's now in the hands of the men and the boys. It is now up to Kansas State and Tennessee, baby. Yeah, Brent was feeling himself. And Kansas State looks like they were going to be playing Tennessee for the national championship thanks to UCLA's loss to Miami. But Kansas State blew the lead got all the way up to 27-12 to to start the fourth quarter. Texas A&M cut it to 27-19 with nine-ish minutes left. But still, no worries. Kansas State had it. The Wildcats were milking the clock. They were Tempe-bound. It's third down. 2.26 left. The ball is in the hands of star quarterback Michael Bishop, who was probably ahead of his time as a dual-threat quarterback. Quarterback draw. He's running. He's got the first down. Drives a lot. Oh, he coughed up the rock. Fumble. So here comes Texas A&M. Quarterback Brandon Stewart, who this is a funny storyline actually, was in Tennessee's quarterback room with Peyton Manning transferred to Texas A&M. He finds Sir Parker on a slant in the end zone. And remember that name, Sir Parker. And then Stewart sprints out to his right and finds Parker for a two-point conversion. Tie game. Kansas State's 60-yard Hail Mary attempt with regulation. Kansas State's 60-yard Hail Mary attempt with no time left on the clock comes up a yard short, and they go to overtime. Martin Gramatica gets the Wildcats three, and then all of a sudden, Texas A&M is facing third and long. It's third and 17. 
Kansas State looks like it might have survived. But then Stewart finds none other than Sir Parker on an innocent little go route just a few yards past the line of scrimmage. Now I will let voice of the Aggies Dave South take it from there. Slot to the left. No, no tight end. Shea Holder is exposed here on this right side. Put a man in motion. Now they snap it. Going to throw here to Parker at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He is almost. He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got it in! He got it in! He got it in! Oh, doctor! They are mobbing him. It is Bedlam here. Sir Parker took it's the 32-yard pass. The Aggies have won the Big 12 championship in overtime against KSU. That's a final. 36-33. Kansas State heartbroken. Knocked out of the BCS championship, the first ever BCS championship where it would have faced Tennessee. In fact, the Wildcats dropped all the way to the Alamo Bowl. It's a plummet. Cotton Bowl didn't want him. Holiday Bowl didn't want him. That's absurd for a team that was ranked number three after this loss. In fact, the Kansas State rule was created that offseason to ensure that the third-ranked team in the final BCS standings gets to play in a BCS game. That's the college football rule book implication of this game. For a fandom or a college football culture implication, this is just number one for every single Kansas State fan when it comes to heartbreak and despair. We all have our favorite teams, and if you ask us, we all have our most memorable, most painful losses. And for Kansas State fans, this is it. This is number one, and it's not even close. And I thought 2012 for Kansas State might be a little bit close, and I'm going to have Tim Fitzgerald on in a, in a second, Tim's the publisher of GoPowerCat.com. He covers Kansas State for 24-7 sports. And I asked him if there's a parallel at all between 1998 and 2012, in which Kansas State was ranked number one and lost at Baylor in November to cost it a shot at the BCS National Championship. And he said no. He says this 1998 team would have beaten the 2012 team by a few touchdowns. And in 2012, this was... If you remember, this was the year that Notre Dame got that spot and they got pounded by Alabama. Alabama would have pounded anyone in 2012. But in 1998, this Tennessee team that K-State would have faced was regarded slightly inferior. Uh, as far as you, you look at every single team that's ever won a, a BCS national title and you rank them, Tennessee comes near the bottom. I'm not taking anything away from T. Martin. I'm just saying... And, and Tim Fitzgerald says the same thing about how K-State fans would have viewed that opportunity. They think they would have beaten Tennessee to win it all and complete the most stunning turnaround in college football history. Because in 1988, Kansas State was 0-11. And they could have been national championships 10 years later in 1998. Alas. Tim Fitzgerald joins us. He was in St. Louis that day. He remembers it all too well. I figured he would be the perfect candidate to help us rewind this thing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Tim Fitzgerald, you were there. So tell me what that was like. Well, that was honestly that 98 K-State team was the best college football team I had seen. And and I might still say that up until this year when I saw those teams that were in the playoffs and how good those top three teams were this year. That 98 K-State team was that kind of dominant. Um, they rolled through everyone. Michael Bishop is uh, the greatest quarterback that maybe people don't remember. I mean, he, he should have won the Heisman. I mean, he had a better season. You being a Texas guy won't appreciate this. He had a better se- uh. season than Ricky Williams had. And in fact, you know, K-State held Ricky Williams to like single digits and yardage in their game. And um, But, I mean, Ricky really had an incredible career and, and probably deserved some award. But K-Staters will tell you Michael was the best college football player that year. He was what everyone looks for in a quarterback now before then. I mean, he was had the strongest arm that I had seen at the time. Could just throw the ball unbelievable distance and uh, played like a running back. I mean, he was the consummate dual threat. He wasn't an option quarterback. He was a running back with an incredible arm. And on top of that, the defense was exceptional. Um, they just had parts. They had all the right parts to be a great team. And And what was historic about that team was – uh, the recruiting class of 1997 included, I think it was eight junior college players, which was unheard of, which, which was dirty back then to recruit that number of junior college players because you could never win with that number of junior college players. And and their K-State one year later was you know, knocking on the door playing for a national championship as they went to St. Louis to play Texas A&M and uh, proved to everyone that junior college players can take you to the highest levels of college football except it all fell apart in St. Louis. I uh so Texas A&M, I was at the the game they played before then. Uh Texas A&M Texas and A&M lost and I don't think they were really expecting to. That was Ricky's game to break the record. And I was I was talk, I was reading up on this and talking to our Texas A&M guy Brian Peroni and he was like, you know, we almost sold our tickets. We didn't really think we didn't really think we were going to win that one because Kansas State, you mentioned it, like they were undefeated that season. They were dominant. They were staring straight at a BCS championship berth if everything fell that their way that afternoon, a.k.a. if UCLA lost, which which it did. So you're at the Trans World Dome. It's it's 27 to, to 12, and UCLA lost to Miami. They show it on the scoreboard, and, and K- Kansas State is essentially like they're headed to Tempe to play. To, to play in the national title game, the BCS title game. And then it sort of all falls apart. What are your recollections from sort of watching it fall apart? And like, at what point were you maybe concerned that, that this was not, not going to be a walk in the park win. And then at what point were you like, this isn't happening? Cause I would imagine there's like, you only, you lose so much momentum. Like you probably head into overtime and you're like, yeah, this is, this is not going to, not going to do it. Yeah, what's what was incredible was that is the game that proves you can't let someone hang around. 
I mean, if you're beating someone, dominating someone, you better make sure the scoreboard reflects that. Because Kansas State was dominating that game. It felt like it was 35-3. to It didn't feel like a 15-point lead. It just felt like there's no way A&M can overcome this. Just no way. And, in fact, K-State is uh, basically trying to run out the clock. And um, Michael Bishop takes a quarterback draw right up the middle of the defense. And if I recall correctly – all I need to do is pick up a first down, and K-State is in a position to put that game away. And I was walking. It was late in the game because I had come down from the press box. I was walking along the sideline with another media member, and I saw the ball fall down Michael's leg, like just run right down the side of his leg, and like he fumbled. And my friend's like, what? And that moment, that one moment, completely changed everything about the game. But here is your play for the Aggies now, looking at a third and six. They've got a timeout left. They want the ball back. Want to force the punt. Bishop will try to run for it. Bishop, football! It is a first down. Aggies have got it. Bishop fumbles. Cornelius Anthony wraps it up. And it might have been the fact that the scoreboard had shown this score in case they knew it was on its way to the to uh, the championship, and then they just tightened up at that point. But from that moment on, AM did everything it needed, like it was scripted, to pull the upset. From getting the game into overtime to having the big play with Sir Parker scoring on that play, which I was literally standing on the opposite side but on the goal line. And if that had been in the age of replay, he would have been marked out at the one, one and a half. It really wasn't close to a touchdown. <clears throat> but um, he scores. I mean, it was just like everything fell in place for A&M at that point. And K-State was on its way to play what I still believe was an inferior Tennessee team for a national championship. And and uh, like I said before we started recording, if you're Kansas State, that might be your one chance at the big prize. The, the, I- the window's so narrow, you got to get through it right at that moment. I agree with you on the serve Harker touchdown. Absolutely. And I, th- I went back and listened to the A&M radio broadcast of it. And, and Dave South was, it took him a while to sort of gather that that was a touchdown. This is interesting. Like you, you mentioned, I think a lot of fans don't know this, that media will leave, need to leave the press box a few minutes before the game's over to, to start get, to get ready for the locker room. And that ties me into your coverage of Kansas state. How or like, so it's 1998. When did you start to cover the Wildcats? Well, I started uh, functioning <clears throat> as with a uh, a fan magazine owned by the Wichita Eagle in '95, and I was the editor of that. And then in '98, I started my own fan magazine, Powercat Illustrated. And ironically, it was after that game that I became one of the founding sites on the Rivals Network. So '98 was like the perfect time to, for me to start as K State specific magazine that added a website i mean it was just a home run time other than the fact it would have been a grand slam time if they'd won a national championship i was gonna say you got there for the good stuff you didn't have to go through the the and 10 and 11 season you know one in 10 stuff <laughs> i lived through that i knew exactly um i mean growing up a k-stater uh it was a basketball school uh, you know they had a great history in basketball and um in 1988 
they lost in the Elite Eight to Kansas, and it seems like KU and K-State split at that point. KU went on to be a dominant basketball school, and K-State really kind of fell on harder times uh, that they hadn't really been through in 40 years or so as a basketball program. And Bill Snyder arrived uh, in December of 88 as the new coach and turned it into a football school really in fairly short order. So, you know, the, the transformation, you know, when Bill Snyder, he won one game in that first season, and you mentioned the records. They had gone 30 games without winning. Uh, they had one tie in there. So winning a game was just enormous in that first season, and then he wins five, and then he wins seven, and then he wins five. And you know what? If you're a K-Stater, that's a pretty good life right there. <laughs> you know, that's being average was unthinkable. So to have him within, you know, 10 years of being hired, knocking on the door of not only a Big 12 title but a national championship appearance was something so unimaginable to lifelong K-State fans it was absolutely incredible. So this was going to be this was the first BCS national championship game. I didn't know the Kansas State rule, quote unquote, was a thing until I was digging into this game. Kansas State was slated to play in a, in a high major bowl game. It should have played in a BCS bowl game. Then the Cotton Bowl didn't pick it up. The Holiday Bowl didn't pick it up. Ends up in the Alamo Bowl. Looking at it now, Kansas State kind of got screwed. But maybe the heartache was too much to care. I. Uh... Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, it was horrible because everyone was so confident K-State would win that that bowl game, that championship game, excuse me, and A&M right. would go to the Alamo Bowl. That's who the Alamo Bowl wanted. I mean, they weren't going to get K-State. They were going to get Texas A&M, you know, right down the road, and that's great. Uh, they'd match them up with what turned out to be Purdue. That had been a pretty damn entertaining game. They didn't have any protection against teams falling. So imagine being... Uh, they came out of that game uh, ranked third in the in the BCS. They're third, and they fell through every major bowl game, including the Holiday Bowl, which back then was much more highly thought of, to the Alamo Bowl, which is nothing like it is now. It was closer to the the Cactus Bowl than what it is now. I mean, it was a low tier bowl back then. To fall all the way down to there play a game that nobody wanted to play and K-State went through the motions and lost to Purdue. Um, it, uh, it it was really, it remains a very, very bitter memory for K-Staters because not only did they not win, not get to play for the national title, it was at, as, if, as if college football looked at them and said, get back in your place. You belong here at best. And, and so it's really uh, still a very raw memory for K-State people. In 2012, Kansas State was also number one, and Colin Klein was headed toward, uh, you know, a, a season in which he could win the Heisman. And then Kansas State goes to Waco, and loses at the time. And I, I was at that game with my dad for like my for some reason we lived in Austin. I, I was going to school, and we just decided to go catch a good football game. Did not expect to see that. I was excited to watch Colin Klein run all over Baylor. Were there parallels drawn? in 2012 to 1998 and maybe which one which one stands out to you as hurting a little bit more well no question it was 98 but you know if you ask a younger fan 12 hurt an awful lot you know k-state had one injury their free safety ty zimmerman was injured before that baylor game they had to put in a freshman back there and this is really the problem uh, why the window is so tight for k-state teams such as k-state to get through 
to go get enough good players to compete with the upper echelon of college football is one thing. To go get enough players to withstand injuries when you're not getting five four-star guys is nearly impossible. So if you get a key injury, it's over. Uh, and that's kind of what happened in that game. Ty was the the quarterback on the back end of that defense. He got everyone lined up, including the linebackers in front of him. Arthur Brown was an incredible instinctive linebacker, but he had issues pre-snap reads, and Ty took care of that. He got everyone in the position, and now suddenly with this big game rolling and Baylor had been struggling, but they were a pretty decent football team. Their record didn't necessarily reflect that. K-State's defense collapsed. It was literally like, you know, pulling the wrong block out of the stack and everything just fell apart. And uh, they were able to rebound and, and go home and beat Texas for a Big 12 title. But uh, that one stung an awful lot. But uh, in comparing the two teams, there is no comparison. Uh, 98 uh, would have probably beat that 2012 K-State team by two, three touchdowns. It was that dominant. I want to send you out on a happier note because I, I kind of bumming you out, I think, uh, with 90, 98 and 2012 talk. But And we, we mentioned it. We talked about the, the winless seasons. If people don't understand what Bill Snyder took this program from and turned it into, then they probably don't have a really good grasp on college football history as far as how remarkable it even was in 1998 for Kansas State to be playing for a chance to, to go play for a BCS title. When you look at that 98 team and the next few years that followed and all those draft picks – and it, it, it kind of set the stage for some other really good Kansas State teams. They won the North in 2000. They won the Big 12 outright in 2003. Darren Sproles was on the team. L. Roberson, Terrence Newman. When you look back at 98 and sort of how it began a different era of Kansas State football, how do you wrap up that time, that, that first stanza, the end of that first stanza of Bill Snyder's era at Kansas State? You also have to understand what, what took place at the end of 98 season. Bob Stoops went to Oklahoma. Um, and took with him big chunks of the K-State staff because his brother, Brent Venables, Mark Mangino, all had been together on that K-State staff in 98, and they went with Bob to Oklahoma. So now they've gutted the K-State coaching staff, which was um, you know, very aggressive. They, they went and took a big chunk of that K-State staff, and, and Bob had been there but then went to Florida to be D coordinator and came right back to Oklahoma. Uh so there was a, a, a shell shock period where K-State had to gather itself and Phil Bennett came in to run the defense. Actually, Rex Ryan came in to run the defense. People don't know this story. And was there for two weeks and then got an NFL offer. And Phil was assistant coordinator and got promoted to coordinator at K-State at that point. Um, and um, it took them a little bit to gather themselves. They had some good seasons, but then 2001, they bombed, bottomed out at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, went and lost the Insight Bowl. It wasn't a very good team. L was a sophomore that uh, was really struggling in 2001. I mean, he just he wasn't that good a quarterback, but he got really good. And by 03, that K-State team was incredible. And again, this was a Big 12 championship game. That why I bothered to go? Because one team's going to be so dominant. And um, I... I can look back and I I confidently say I never felt better about a K-State team winning a game than 2003 Big 12 Championship. They had had injuries. They had had some issues that season. And they were healthy and they were confident and they looked like a complete team. And then they went out and won against 
an Oklahoma team that people still consider maybe the best OU team. They beat them 35-7. to And even out of that, buddy, even out of that came one more thumb in the eye. K-State just beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. Guess what Oklahoma got to do? Play for the national championship. Unreal. Something K-State didn't get. So even out of that victory, K-State was reminded that the rules are different if you're K-State or you're Oklahoma. Oh, that is a good college football history lesson. Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of Go Power Cat for 24-7 Sports. Also, Tim, I really like your new podcast, The Life of Fitz. I recommend everyone go check it out. Give it a listen on Apple Podcasts. You've got some really good guests on there, some really good talking points too. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. That's going to do it for today's edition of the College Football Daily Rewind style. If you have a game you'd like for us to rewatch and talk about, please let us know. Drop us a review in Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating while you're at it or, or tweet at me or something. I love rewatching old games. They don't even have to be old. They could be from this past fall. They could be also super, super old games my dad would have watched. And talking about not only just the game, but also the implication and sort of peeling back a layer or two on a rule that might have been changed because of it or, I mean, maybe sometimes the heartbreak angle is enough carnage for me sometimes. Um, So, yeah, if you have anything that we should watch or anybody we should watch, please let us know. For Tim Fitzgerald, for Tawny Levitt, our producer, I'm Trey Scott, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.